And so, Lord, this is our prayer, that you would transform us, that you would um, move by your spirit through the preaching of your word, that we would hear, receive what you have for us, and respond to it. Lord, um, I pray for the empowering of the Holy Spirit to preach. I pray for the empowering of the Holy Spirit to hear and respond. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. And page 1824. All right, so we're going to continue on in our um, series in Philippians. So page 1824, if you're using the Bible in the chair. So good to see you this morning. So, found your place? And when I'm finished reading, you don't need to put away your Bible and set it down. You might even want to just keep it open that you could even reference it throughout. So, um, and I also want to say if anybody gets drowsy, which I'm trusting that it's cool enough in here that that's not going to happen, but if it does, um, you have permission to just stand up alongside one of the sidewalls if that's what you need to do to stay awake when it's warmer in the summer, okay? So no offense um, that if you need to do that, you just need to do that. So um, the important thing is stay awake and keep listening to what the Lord has for us this morning. All right, so make my joy complete, um, starting Philippians chapter 2 here in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word to us. Sometimes I give you the main idea of what I believe this message is about right up front. And I want to do that this morning. I want to tell you that I think the main idea that the Lord has for us is that love and humility expressed through looking out to the interest of others, it strengthens our unity, and thus it impacts our witness And our mission. All right? So, love and humility expressed through caring for others. And so, I want to tell you that this past Thursday morning, I was happy as a canary, as I remember my grandma used to say. I was happy as a canary, and then I asked Dane, Hey, Dane, 
I was just going over this with him last night, and I said, you, have you ever heard that phrase, happy as a canary? And he goes, no, I've heard happy as a clam. <laughs> so I don't know if my grandma said it wrong or whether in my age I got it wrong, but the slides were already sent in, and I've always thought of it that way. And so, you know, this past Thursday, I was happy as a canary. I think of little songbirds, and they're happy, and they're chirping away, right? All right, so anyway... What made me so happy? Well, I was just filled with joy because early Thursday morning, and I'm not an early morning person, but we had a mission meeting here, um, a committee meeting of people from the classes that are really concerned and um, excited about seeing the churches renewed, revived, churches planted, um, campus ministries thriving. And so that was great. But as we're meeting, I'm hearing this noise going on outside, and there's people moving tables, and there's trucks, and there's um, the, the parking lot is getting marked off because we're having a food, food distribution here on Thursday morning. And so as soon as we wrapped up in here, then I go out and I see Ron and I see Jody and I'm like, hey, you guys, and you're here to serve in any way. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, how are you doing? Ron only got an hour of sleep. He worked all night, slept for an hour, and he's awake to come and he's joyful and he's here to serve. He's here to help others meet some needs, greet people. He's making out his numbers for people to walk up and um, get their numbers so they can get their food. Jody's excited. Then I see Elaine. Where's Elaine? Where did Elaine? There. Elaine. I see Elaine, and she goes, Oh, Pastor Gina, I love to do this. I love to serve, and I get my steps in. And anyway, and so, <laughs> right? It's good. And so anyway, So the joy of the Lord, being here to serve and meet each other's needs, what a wonderful thing. I couldn't have been happier. And as my grandma would say, at least I think that's what she said, I'm happy as a canary. But I was feeling happy as a canary because I see people serving each other. And you know what? That is what Paul was asking and calling for them, pleading. He said, if you've had any of these things, then make my joy complete. It's a command, it's a plea, it's a request. He is a spiritual leader of the church, is saying, if you have any of these things, if you've experienced any of these things, encouragement from being united with Christ. Well, don't you know that Paul and the church had experienced encouragement from being united with Christ? They had experienced comfort from his love. Remember, Paul was suffering. He was writing from jail, and yet he, his, his experience of joy was not directly tied to his circumstances because he was joyful. And he's saying, if you've had any comfort from his love, even in your sufferings, if you've had any common sharing in the Holy Spirit, which we know every believer has experienced the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to reside in them. They had encountered the Holy Spirit working in powerful ways through Paul, and so he knew that there was common sharing in the Holy Spirit, any tenderness and compassion. And you know that that marks the church, tenderness and compassion, because that's what marked Jesus' ministry. And so he was saying this, if you've had any of this, which really he knew everyone would relate to, 
he says, then make my joy complete. Make my joy complete. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that joy, that settled um, state of mind that's characterized by peace, that joy, somehow, even though everything else, he was able to say, um, I've got joy, and yet there was something that was lacking if the church wasn't loving and serving each other. There was a completeness that comes when you see them living this out, what he had modeled for them. Don't you know, maybe you've heard parents say this, oh, kids, that is enough. Can't you just get along? Like, you know, right? You know, sometimes when summer vacation first starts, that first couple of days can be rough. Yes? Yeah? Um, So anyway... He's saying, oh, make my joy complete. Have the mindset of Christ. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, by having the same love, by being one in spirit and of one mind. And he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, value others above yourselves. Hey, don't just be looking out for your own interest. Look out for what other people need. Have the mindset of Jesus Christ. So, Paul is a spiritual coach. He's looking with his eye on the church and with their mission to go and make disciples of all the nations. And he sees that there's two things that could really trip him up. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. So in teaching, we try to teach by analogy. Or in preaching, often we use illustrations to try to help you understand what he's saying. So selfish ambition, when I think of that, I think of sports. Sometimes um, when you might have a ball hog. All right, so um, somebody that hangs on to the ball and they don't share it with others. That is one way that I see selfish ambition. They want to score the goal. They want to make the hoop. They want to get the shot, whatever. All right? So today, not only did I have the canary thing, but I thought I was grabbing a soccer ball. This, I'm told, is a volleyball. All right? But it looked about the same size. It wasn't black and white and those nice little squares or whatever they are. But, you know. All right. But let's just pretend for the sake of analogy, like we're just teaching, that have you ever been to like a YMCA, like a beginner children's um, soccer league? All right, so somebody can run fast and kick the ball, right? And everybody else just follows them. And they go down the field, and then they try to shoot, and they don't get in. And then the other team has a strong player, and they kick it and run it down here. I'm not going to kick this ball. But, you know, it's one person, it seems like, oftentimes. Have you been there? Have you seen those games I've seen? Where it's kind of that one person. Well, that could be considered selfish ambition. I remember when my son got a little bit further along in soccer and his coach said, you have to have so many touches on the ball before anybody can shoot. You have to learn to pass. Yes? Got to learn to pass. If anybody played soccer, yeah. Got to have some touches on that ball. And other people have to get a turn because what fun is it 
if all you're doing is watching one person that's kind of the hero or the star, you know, it's a team sport. And so we got to learn to look out for the interest of others because actually they may have a better shot on goal than you do. All right, but selfish ambition, wanting all the fame and the glory, and again, that kind of goes with this vain conceit, which is thinking only of yourself and your own comforts. Vain, thinking about yourself, not thinking about others. Um, I think it was on my week of vacation that I decided to read a book that was of a different genre. I usually read reference books. I am so weird. Um, That's kind of what I like. But I thought, I'm going to get a fiction book. And so I got a historical fiction book, The Justice Writers. And Dane and I have been reading this out loud a little bit sometimes, um, just for something different. And um, I thought there was an illustration in here of um, a story of where, how important it is to look out for one another. All right? So the context of this story is that there's a band of kind of what now we would call special ops, but it's in the Civil War, and so the Confederates and the, um, the what are we? Union. Union. I forget. I used to live down south. All right. <laughs> All right. So anyway, they're having this battle, and so there's this special operation to try to stop the Confederate troops from making progress to the north. And so there's this special little band of um, people that are elite at doing certain activities and they have this plot that uh, when the bell rings three they're going to all charge this um, advance of this troop and somebody's going to go after the ammunition um, wagon and blow it up and somebody's going to go after the food um, wagon and somebody's going to go after the water supply so they each have their assignment they're going to quick try to get in do their work and get out okay Um, I think this is appropriate even though there is a little bit of violence in this story but actually scripture gives us military images throughout of that we're in a battle all right and we have to be watching out for each other so we're going to pick this up with um, Ezra who is one of the special ops, and he's um, going after one of the wagons. So Ezra knew that merely upsetting the wagon carrying the large barrels laden with water wouldn't be good enough. He wanted to destroy General Johnston's water supply. An army can survive a long time without food, but only a few days without water. Even if the troops kept moving northward, they'd have to stop for water before long, giving General Grant more precious time to drive toward Richmond. At full gallop, Ezra reached the water wagons and started firing, not at the soldiers nearby, but at the barrels containing the water. One by one, streams of water poured out of the barrels. As too late, the rebels realized the true targets of Ezra Justice bullets. With his gun barrel hot, Justice danced his horse through the maze of dead bodies, mangled wagons, and other equipment. Getting to the supply line was one thing, Getting clear of it would be quite another. Ezra veered hard to the left, attempting to avoid several rebs running backward toward the supply train. His horse obediently leaped over a pile of rubble as Ezra pulled up hard on the reins. Just as he went airborne, he saw the soldier in the dirty gray coat, kneeling on the ground straight ahead of him, aiming his musket right at justice. Ezra tried to duck, but it was too late. He heard the sound of a rifle blast. 
The kneeling soldier crumpled to the dirt as the hoofs of Ezra's horse touched the ground. Ezra looked behind him and saw Nathan York coming alongside, smoke still curling from the barrel of his carbon. Thanks, Nate. That was a close one. Glad to be of service, Nate yelled as he galloped toward the chow wagons without breaking stride. So somebody else, one of his other teammates, watching his back and helped him out. That is an example of the opposite of vain conceit. Vain conceit would have been that Nate would have just been headed for his assignment and wanted to succeed at his assignment. But instead, he's watching out for Ezra and he sees that he's in danger and he has his back. All right. It's Paul is what he's calling us is to a focus of not me, but we and thee. Go into King James Version language. All right. But it rhymed. I thought it worked. Not me, but we and thee. Paul is calling for us to focus not on ourselves, but on living in unity with each other, living a life of loving service, and living to honor our spiritual leaders. Because it was appropriate for Paul to say, make my joy complete. He was their spiritual father. He had birthed that church. And it's appropriate to honor our spiritual leaders. I was looking back through some pictures And this is a picture of Pastor Dave and David when we wore monastery clothing. It was when they were getting ready to go into the baptismal and David was going to be baptized. Um, This was a picture that I thought we could remember that Pastor Dave um, has served this congregation, that he's humbly checked and tried to serve the needs of each other. And in his absence, in his sabbatical, don't you think that he would say, now make my joy complete. If you want to make Pastor Dave happy when he comes back from sabbatical, let him hear stories of you all loving each other, caring for each other, that you and I were faithful to what he's modeled and what he's taught us that Jesus did by serving each other, looking out for the needs of one another. And so... I think we can learn some lessons. Paul directs us to look at Jesus and Jesus' life. And so I want to just go through a few lessons that I see of what we can learn about humility from looking at Jesus. First of all, Jesus, it says that he didn't consider equality with God. Let me just look at the um, exact wording here because some of our versions use this just a little bit differently. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, right? Some of them say um, didn't want to grasp. So Jesus didn't consider equality with the Father something to be used to his own advantage. And yet we know that Jesus is equal. He's co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Our creeds tell us that. He's co-equal in majesty and glory, and yet, and he is God, and yet he chose to defer to the Father, right? And so Jesus chooses to defer to the Father. And so as humans, we're equal, we're made all in God's image, and yet we can learn humility that we're secure in our identity, and so we can defer to others, We don't have to grasp or try to hang on to an identity because it's ours. 
We're secure in that. But the question is, am I secure enough as a beloved child of God that I don't grasp for status? Something that we might, I believe the Holy Spirit would ask us to consider. Am I secure enough as a child of God that I don't grasp for status, but that I can humble myself and serve? Other humility lessons from Jesus. He leaves comfort, right? He leaves the position of being above the earth and enters in. So he leaves the comfort of heaven to come to earth. He empties himself. He leaves privilege. I think that's a way we can think about that, is leaving privilege and positions of privilege and even abilities to, um, for the redemptive purposes of serving. Dressed down. He came in the likeness of man. And I think that sometime for that, it was a dressed down because his glorified body, remember after he was raised he was glorified at the transfiguration you know it's like whoa so there's something that happened that he dressed down but he meets the context he comes where we are and so i think there's a few questions about humility that we could think about will i go anywhere that the lord would ask me to go that would be a way of expressing humility do i view belongings as my personal assets Or do I view them as kingdom assets? Jesus chose to empty himself, kenosis, empty himself. Do we view what we own as kingdom assets? That's a form of humility and expressing humility so that when I see that somebody has a need and I have something that they need, I share it because it's all God's anyway. And he just put it in my hands and then trust me to use it in good ways that would bring him glory and serve my neighbor. Am I sensitive to the context in which I'm serving? And so, again, if we're humble, we're not trying to um, impress or we're not trying to distract because of anything, including the way we would dress or anything else about our mannerisms, our talk, you know, Are we sensitive to the context where we're serving? These are ways to express humility. For example, when I went to England, I wanted to make sure as best I could that I used teaching illustrations that they would relate to and that they, um, even like my spelling on some of my words, I had people just look that over. Um, Now, did I need to? Or could I just say, well, I'm the teacher, I've prepared these, and so this should be fine. But I think it's humble to just try to fit in with wherever you are. And so um, that was one way the Lord was kind of convicting me to humble myself and ask, could you just look these over? All right, other lessons we can learn from Jesus. Jesus was a willing servant. He came to serve, remember Jesus, wash the disciples' feet, He humbled himself, not only in his actions, but his attitude. He was willing. He was was filled with joy, even on the way to the cross, because he was looking ahead. He was obedient to the Father's wishes. And so that's deferring. That's humility, again. And so questions that I believe the Lord would ask us is, do my actions... And does my attitude reveal that I have a servant heart? When I see other people's needs, when I see a way that I could encourage others, 
am I doing that? Am I putting myself out there because I believe my father wants to encourage this person? They'd like a phone call. They'd like to um, have a visit. What do you see around you? Do you see what the father would like? And are you stepping into that? And are you stepping into it with a joyful heart and a willing heart? Or are you kind of begrudging because don't you know people can recognize that too? If it's just like dropping off. Um, let's just say I remember when there, we were at a different church and there was um, the deacons delivered groceries to people's homes. There's a difference between wanting to build a relationship and um, valuing people to express like, hey, how are you doing and all? Or like, oh, you needed some groceries. Here you go. Goodbye. I mean, there's a difference there. One is humble and wanting to get to know a person. The other is just doing a duty because it's just on the checklist to do. Humility lessons from Jesus. Being willing to sacrifice what is precious to help others. Let's think about what did Jesus sacrifice? What did he sacrifice to, that was precious? His life, yeah. What else did he sacrifice? Status, Status. yeah. What else did he sacrifice? What? Where he lived, yeah. What else did he sacrifice? Loud? What? Time of eating? Yeah. Is that what you said, eating? Yeah. That I was looking at that one too because he was tired and he retreated, and then the crowd pressed in, and um, he, he was giving, right? And so he, he sacrificed time. He sacrificed sleep. He stayed awake to pray for people. Um, so there was much that he sacrificed that was precious. And I think about how the Lord gives us examples of other people in the Bible that sacrificed things that were precious, like the um, poor woman that only had two coins. She gave 100% of what she had, and yet the rich young ruler wasn't willing, right? And so there's a humility, of, and it doesn't matter whether you have a lot or you have a little, but are you willing to sacrifice something that's precious to help others? And then Jesus lived with a long view in mind. And what I mean by that is he was looking to eternity. He was remembering the bigger picture. And so whatever he encountered, he didn't encounter it because it was fun to encounter on this earth. But he came because he was humble and he was willing to because he knew that he was going to be, as it says here, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And that means Jesus came before God and was found to have been um, acceptable. And so then the Father gives him the name that is above every name, and then he's exalted into that place, sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father. In the same way, we need to live with the long view in mind that each one of us, at some point, is going to stand before the Lord and be evaluated for what we've done on earth. And so do we earn rewards? No. But do we want to see Jesus exalted and the Father glorified just as Jesus did? That's what we're looking for. We're looking at the long view. And so 
in the temporary, I might be giving up some things, but you know what? It was the kingdom resources anyway. Or if God called me to stay, somebody was awake praying during the night, well, then we're trusting that the Lord is going to give energy for whatever is needed for the day and a rest period somewhere soon. So questions that I believe the Lord would um, ask of us, can I honestly sing songs like I Surrender All? Am I just giving lip service or is my heart mean it? Am I humble? And then am I living for my glory today or for God's glory forever? And so again, the Lord invites us into this place of humility and he doesn't expect us to do it on our own. Remember last week was Pentecost and um, Andrew preached for us on um, the passage and it also included this, the fellowship of the Spirit, the pouring out of the Spirit. Do we have any fellowship with the Spirit, he asked. Well, you know what? That's how we can live in humility and love and serve each other is by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, he nudges us, and then there's a response, right? We can cooperate, or we could ignore and quench the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit helps us to step into this life of humility and service to others. And so reminding you that God's calling us through um, the words of Paul here, to a life of love and humility. And I've heard a number of stories as one of your pastors that I believe impact and will impact our witness and our mission. And I want to just celebrate what I see and what I hear God doing. So I get things like um, text messages that are saying, oh, could I connect with this person because um, I'm loaning them my car and I've lost the number and I need to um, connect with them because I'm going to let them use my car while I'm gone. I mean, just like that's just an everyday occurrence around Gold Avenue Church is that if you have a car and somebody else needs one and you're available to share it, you're just doing that. Praise the Lord. That is humility. That's serving. That's looking out for the needs of others. I hear about um, people just feeling led to take a meal to somebody because they wanted to encourage them or they couldn't get, you know, they thought that they were having trouble mobility-wise getting around or whatever and they needed a little encouragement. So the Lord's using you to serve the needs of others by taking meals or offering hospitality. You invite somebody over. And so, again, you're thinking of their relational needs, their companionship needs, the Holy Spirit in you is prompting you to do this, and I see the Lord and I hear the Lord using you. And it's that kind of thing that creates this love and um, relationship. Maybe you've got an extra racket or you've got an extra ball mitt and you invite somebody to go out and play a game. I've heard those stories and what an encouragement it is. And so you're building hospitality, you're building relationships, you're loving each other. You're visiting and calling those who've been absent. Just checking in, just seeing how they're doing. I praise God that he's called you to humility and that you're serving some of our youngest members with the people that volunteered to help in the nursery this summer. There was a call out and people responded. There was a call out for helpers in children's worship and people have responded. 
We've got to create arts camp and sports camp coming up. And many of you have responded already and said, I want to help. I want to serve the needs of the children of our church and this community. That's humility. That's serving. That's love. And that's going to be the kinds of things that the Lord uses to cause this church and his church. And this isn't unique to our church. He's doing this in other churches as well, causing us to stand as a light to our community to say there is a God and he changes our hearts so that we're no longer self-consumed with vain conceit and selfish ambition, but we're looking out for the needs of the others. You all send notes of encouragement. I see so many of you growing in your prayer lives. You're given time to pray with people. You're coming tonight to get more training, to learn how to pray for this church, for the ministries, for the neighborhood. I hear stories of deacons and what they do. And friends, we need to just, every time we see one of our deacons, we need to say thank you. Because they are serving selflessly. They're doing activities that um, are behind the scenes, helping some that are vulnerable, advocating for those that are at risk, serving in many, many practical ways. And we're so incredibly grateful. And the Lord's grateful. And I feel like even as Paul called the church and said, make my joy complete, as one of your pastors, I call you and I say, make my joy complete, keep doing what you're doing, and even more as the Lord calls and enables you. Why? Because we want to see that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the ways that you are at work, that you've been at work, and we pray that you would continue to be at work, changing us, transforming us, making us humble servants like Jesus modeled for us, Lord. Make us his disciples in a way that we would model that kind of humility and sacrificial love for others. Lord, that you might advance your kingdom, first of all, in our hearts, that you would make us more like you, and advance your kingdom in this world by making other people um, come to know you as their loving Lord and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.